ask you to turn in your Bibles to Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul's letter to the Roman church. Chapter 8, our focus will be on verses 12 to 17. It's found in the Pew Bibles on page 944. We are in a series on the Holy Spirit. I was reminded, I reminded myself that over 10 years ago, I did a many-part series on assurance and uh, wrote a number of articles on assurance. Tonight, we're going to look at this topic in one message and with an emphasis on the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to assurance. Children, here are your questions for this evening. First, what is assurance of salvation? Two, how can anyone be sure that they are saved? Three, will true Christians always feel like they are loved by God? And four, what is the best thing to do if you feel like God is far from you? Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 12. This is the word of God. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. There ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that even as we read that your spirit testifies with our spirit when we are children of God, so we know that you, Holy Spirit, minister to us when we need to understand your word. And so we pray that you would help us tonight, help us as we've read your word, now help us as we receive the preaching of your word, please bless it, help the preacher, help all of us who will hear to receive from you this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you truly believe that you're saved from your sins? Do you truly believe that you're safe and secure in the arms of your heavenly Father? Do you truly believe that you are children in the household of God, that household that lasts Forever. If so, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, but also specifically thank the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit is a key figure playing a part, certainly in salvation, playing a part, as we learned before, in sanctification, but certainly very significantly playing a part in the ministry that drives home the truth of our salvation in Christ, warms our souls. As someone said, a kiss. A kiss of the Holy Spirit 
to our souls that brings us assurance. I believe that though God has different ways of working with different people according to their personality, according to their needs, that his children have a variety of experiences, that that he wants his children to have assurance. That assurance might be clouded for a time, but it's never God who changes in his commitment to his children. It's his children who have a problem receiving the truth that God will keep them and never forsake them. The best I can do is try to relate to this as a parent. I've probably told this story before, but it's one of those life-impacting stories. Years ago, when my two oldest boys were either five and three or four and two, I was working on a project in my garage, refinishing something, and I was in the middle of it and had my can of varnish out and my paintbrush lying there and some sandpaper over here and over there, and I stepped out for just a moment, and I came back into the garage, and there were my two boys standing there who decided to help their dad in his project. Well, there was varnish on them. The project was kind of messed up, and I was, I think understandably, a little bit upset, even though I should have known they didn't know better. But in my frustration, I said, get out. Get out, meaning get out of the garage. And all of a sudden, the older of the two started bawling with a heartbreaking bawling in his gravelly little voice. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, you said we can't live here anymore. I can almost cry just telling the story. You said we can't live here anymore and we have to move and live somewhere else. Well, not once have I ever wanted any one of my children to doubt for a moment that they were mine and that they were always welcome in my household. And even though our ways are severely flawed, and even though God's ways are quite mysterious to us so often and much wiser than we can ever be, I can't help but think that he wants us to be regularly reassured of his love and commitment to us. Otherwise, Paul would have no business writing things like he writes In Romans 8, if you turn over to verse 31, no business writing things like this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. How dare Paul write anything like that if God's people cannot have assurance? He also would have no right to pray 
for people like he prays in Ephesians chapter 3. If you want to turn there, Ephesians 3.14, one of Paul's prayers for the people of God. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How dare Paul pray anything like that for anyone if they couldn't have actually have assurance of salvation. Solid assurance, contrary to what some people seem to need to preach, is not, is not presumption. Now, there are many presumptuous who assume that they're saved when they're not saved. But true assurance of salvation is not presumption. Christians should not be bullied by the devil, the accuser, should not be bullied by bad theology that constantly rattles their assurance and should not be bullied by their own doubts and fears, but instead turn to God and his promises to reinforce that solid assurance. Here's something from our confession, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 18, verse 1, recognizes that there is such a thing as Presumption, but notice what the divines say about assurance of those who truly believe. Although hypocrites and other unregenerate men may vainly deceive themselves with false hopes and carnal presumption of being in the favor of God and a state of salvation which hope of theirs shall perish, yet such as truly believe in the Lord Jesus and love him in sincerity endeavoring to walk in all good conscience before him, may in this life be certainly assured that they are in the state of grace and may rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, which hope shall never make them ashamed. On what grounds can any of us have assurance? It's not based on our feelings or our presumption any true assurance is based on the objective things that God has done. Any kind of theology, any kind of doctrine that's based on our subjective feelings or man-centered theology, things that are based on our choices and our faithfulness are going to fail and have uncertainty built right into their system. But true faith and true assurance is based on the objective work of God. First of all, based on his promises. If you're still in Romans, turn to Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 11. Verses 9 to 11. Very familiar words, I trust. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now, that is a promise of God for those who truly believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing with their tongues for sure, but truly believing in their hearts. That's a promise from the word of God. But behind that, behind the scenes, are some things that are critical to our assurance, critical to the foundation of our assurance. First of all is election. Behind the scenes, we don't understand it completely. We don't understand predestination. It's mysterious. It's incomprehensible. But it's a biblical truth of God's sovereign choice. Those things primarily in Scripture are written to to confirm to the saints God's unchanging love and plan for them. To comfort in his love, he predestined us. So election, grace of salvation. That salvation is by grace alone, that grace is sufficient for sinners to be saved. Not what we've done. Again, if it's based on what we've done, we have a, a pretty wobbly foundation. But if we understand that what we've received in salvation is purely by his grace and his mercy, that's stable, that's true, that's sure. And then there's this issue of adoption that speaks right into our passage here, that that God in his mercy brings us into his family of faith co-heirs with Christ who shares his sonship with us, that will never be taken away. Those are all things that are outside of ourselves that are firm foundations for our assurance. It's Christ's all-sufficient work given to us. Christ's perfect obedience, Christ's substitutionary atonement. Christ dying for us on the cross and then his merits applied to us there enters the special work of the Holy Spirit. Again, in salvation, in all the parts of salvation, in sanctification, and then in providing assurance. Let me read some things from our catechism, questions 29, 30, and 31. Question is, how are we made partakers of the redemption purchased by Christ? The answer is, by the effectual application of it to us by the Holy Spirit. How does the Spirit apply to us the redemption purchased by Christ? By working faith in us and uniting us to Christ in our effectual calling. What is effectual calling? It's the work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, he persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. Even our faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives us the gift of faith, enabling us to believe. Believe in what is taught to us in the Word. I want to shift from the Westminster Standards to the Heidelberg Catechism and connect the idea of this gift of the Holy Spirit of faith to what faith is. And notice the words that bring assurance into the whole issue of faith. Now, now understand 
that assurance is not of the essence of salvation. But in my humble opinion, if assurance is missing from our experience, then we have a deficit in our understanding of the love of God and the promises that he's made to us. So our assurance is tied to our faith, which is a gift of the Holy Spirit. So the question is this, question 21. What is true faith? True faith is a sure knowledge whereby I accept as true all that God has revealed to us in his word. At the same time, it is a firm confidence that not only to others, but also to me, God has granted forgiveness of sins, everlasting righteousness, and salvation out of mere grace only for the sake of Christ's merits. This faith, the Holy Spirit, works in my heart by the gospel. Did you notice words like assure knowledge and affirm confidence? Those are assuring words for people who have true faith. We do need to rely on the objective truth of what God has done. Part of that objective truth is that we've been sealed. We've been sealed by the giving of the Holy Spirit. Remember that if we don't have the Spirit, we don't have Christ. But if we're in Christ, we have the Holy Spirit. And if we have the Holy Spirit, we're sealed. We're sealed in Christ. Here's how Paul puts it in Ephesians 1. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. In Corinthians, he puts it this way. He put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He's given us the spirit as a guarantee. When we lose sight of those objective truths, that's when we get shaky. And that's where our assurance waxes and wanes. The Lord knows us. And he understands our doubting. He understands our fear. He understands our fickleness. And that's where the deep ministry of the Holy Spirit comes in and reassures us again and again that we truly are children of God. That's what we read. Verse 16, Romans 8, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Those who are in Christ can know. You ever have something that you know, you know, you know is true. You know it's true in the depths of your being. If you know salvation in Christ, if you know security in Christ, the Holy Spirit has touched you deep in your soul. Warmed by his witness that's where it does become somewhat subjective. We feel assured. But again, it doesn't depend on how we feel, whether our salvation is real or not, but you've experienced that, I trust. Some of the strongest Christians I know have gone through periods of a great lack of assurance. There are some 
true believers who deal with the issue quite often, this lack of assurance. But the Lord will always bring us back some point to comfort our hearts. Now, there will be evidences of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We find that right here in Romans 8. Evidence of the Holy Spirit is that you're not living according to the flesh. That if your life is immersed in living according to the flesh, then you should not presume that you're right with God. But if you are living according to the Spirit, that's a whole different thing. Other evidences, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. All those things at work in your life. This ever-deepening trust in the truths and the sovereignty of God are signs that the Holy Spirit is working. And trusting, trusting that he's giving you assurance of salvation. And so there's the objective truth, and then there's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But what about this idea of our waxing and waning? Can we strengthen our assurance? Can we build our assurance? Can our assurance be strengthened and sustained? Some simple things. First of all, we've got to be immersed in the means of grace. If you neglect the means of grace, if you neglect the word of God, if you neglect prayer, if you neglect fellowship, if you neglect gathering together with the saints for worship, you can almost guarantee yourself that you're going to have serious issues of doubt. But God gives us those things to strengthen our faith. Now, there may be times when our assurance is rattled. There are a number of things that can rattle our assurance. If you ever have this experience, if you've been a Christian for any period of time, or maybe even a brand new Christian, where you say to yourself, this is way too good to be true. Way too good to be true. And then you ask yourself, why me? Why me? Why have I received that blessing? I couldn't help but think of Lot's song, How Sweet and Awesome is the Place. Why was I made to hear your voice and enter while there's room, while thousands make a wretched choice and rather starve than come? Some people are just wired to be fretful, maybe to have melancholy spirit, doubting, doubting people. But such people should pray that the Lord would heal those things. Certainly persistent and unrepentant sin, as I mentioned already, is a sure way to rattle assurance. Just think of David in the midst of his rebellion and unrepentance, how, how he was being sapped away and his assurance was certainly, was certainly shaken. Think of many other examples. Maybe you've experienced yourself that time when you were maybe in rebellion, but you were a professing Christian, and yet, and yet you didn't have assurance because of the way you were living your life. So persistent, unrepentant sin. But then there's the inexplicable sometimes. God moves in mysterious ways. And while I firmly believe that it's the norm for God to communicate to his children that they are his and always will be, there are times when in his wisdom, in the deep mystery of his providence, 
that he might re- withdraw that feeling. Never the truth behind it, but that feeling. Here's what our confession says, trying, I believe, to grapple with this very issue by God's drawing the light of his countenance. Our assurance might be shaken by God's withdrawing the light of his countenance and suffering even as such as fear him to walk in darkness and have no light. Yet are they never utterly destitute of that seed of God and life of faith, that love of Christ and the brethren, that sincerity of heart and conscience of duty, out of which by the operation of the Spirit, this assurance may in due time be revived, and by which in the meantime they are supported from utter despair. I would suggest that God employs such things in his providence for this purpose, to draw us closer to him. Not that we would draw away from him because our feelings are hurt if we feel he's distant, but instead the very opposite, employed in his providence to draw us closer to him. If we're prompted in our times of lack of assurance to draw closer to him, that will be the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Stirring us up and prompting us to draw near to him, to seek his comfort, to seek his presence. When we pray, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to cling to your promises. Help me to trust in you. Warm my heart with that sense of assurance that I so desperately need. Well, one day our assurance will be fully realized. In the meantime, there might be a lot of waxing and waning. But when we step into the presence of Christ, we'll have no more questions, no more doubts, no more lack of assurance. God keeps his promises. And he will keep his children. He keeps us now and he will keep us forever. And here we have the Holy Spirit reminding his children that we truly are children of the living God. What could be more satisfying for a doubting soul to be reminded that they're a children, that they're a child of the living God? Let's pray. Lord, we can't help but say to ourselves and with pure reverence, pure reverence, how can this be true? That we who were once children of wrath, children of disobedience, without you and without hope in this world have become children, your children, children of the living God, who have the privilege of calling you Abba, Father. Lord, we can't help but in some ways say it's too good to be true, but you are good and you are true. And our faith is based purely on your promises and on your faithfulness and on your commitment to us and what you've achieved for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, tonight we pray for every soul here who's truly in Christ to experience the wonderful blessing 
the warmth of heart called assurance of salvation. And Lord, when we wax and wane, when we have that full sense of assurance, may we give you praise and thanksgiving. But when we feel as though we're slipping into darkness and feel distant from you, Lord, help us to turn to you again. Seek you. Seek the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives to reassure us once again that we truly are children of you, the living God. We come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Closing hymn is hymn number 131, Children of the Heavenly Father, and we'll please stand when we sing.